Hey. You want to hear something creepy? I always want to hear something creepy. Tony Hawk? You know Tony Hawk? I am very familiar with Tony Hawk. Mm -hmm. People keep taking pictures and saying, this guy looks just like Tony Hawk, and it always ends up being Tony Hawk. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've seen that. It happens so often. I think that's amazing. It's so funny. (laughs) I guess because he looks like a dude, but like a recognizable dude. So people are like, it can't be him. That and one of my favorite Twitter things ever was somebody, do you know the picture of Wesley Snipes from New Jack City where he's crying as he's going to shoot somebody? Somebody tweeted out, when the race war stops and I have to kill Tony Hawk. (laughs) And he quote tweeted it and said, well, thanks for having reservations. So he seems like a fun dude. I think he probably is. He is selling 100 skateboards painted with his blood. I take back everything I just said. He does not seem chill. Well, I guess not chill. I'm trying to find out why. (laughs) I don't think you're going to find a reasonable explanation. Well, I was thinking charity. But if you guys are interested, Tony Hawk is selling 100 skateboards painted with his blood. Each board boasts a vial's worth of Hawk's DNA mixed in with the paint for the decks. A vial? That's what it's saying. That seems... A lot. A lot. It seems a lot. And look at him in this picture. He looks like he has given too much blood. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) All right. Well, it doesn't have anything to do with today's episode, but it was creepy and I just found it. So. Uh huh. <laughs> so it's timely. It fits. <laughs> wow. On that note, uh, rate and review us <laughs> on Apple Podcasts, please. Tweet at us and let us know what you're doing with vials of your blood. <sighs> Mine. I don't give vials, I give bags. They take my blood in bags. <laughs> just like a skin suit? No, just like a Walmart. Plastic bag. Oh gosh, I hope they've double bagged those. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just going to get a hole and your blood's going to come out the bottom. <laughs> just the guy walking like, <laughs> it's a lot of weight. That's, I don't think that's safe or sanitary. Hey, it's, at that point, it's not my blood anymore. I guess not. They, they can do whatever they want with it. <laughs> Here, here's a bag of my blood. <laughs> Walmart bag of my blood. <laughs> I could start taking it here and then driving it over there. Like the people with the plastic bags of gasoline. Yep. <laughs> Except it's my blood. Oh gosh. All right. I wish this episode had anything to do with blood, but <laughs> the intro does. Yeah. <laughs> Happy Halloween in August, guys. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh man. I don't think we have, I don't think I have anything else to say. Nope. All right, let's get into it. All right. Greetings listeners, Domestic International, and especially this week, extraterrestrial. <laughs> RIP to a real one. No. <laughs> I am Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. And this is The Cast Files. I am a nerd who somehow (laughs) never saw The X-Files when it was on or since. And I watched it when it originally aired. The Cast Files is a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of The X-Files spoiler free. This week it is season one, episode 17, E-B-E, or Echo, Bravo, Echo, or Extraterrestrial, 
biological entity. You are in a mood today. It originally aired <laughs> February 18th, 1994 to a viewership of Not Available. Oh no! <laughs> it was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong. Uh, Bathroom Troll sent Nielsen on a wild goose chase. Yep. <laughs> and directed by William Graham. If we, if you know, longtime cast heads will remember. Oh God! He's uh, Alexander Graham Bell's great grand nephew. <laughs> oh man. All right, so are you ready for the cast? I can't wait for the cast. All right, so we have Peter Lacroix, or LaCroix, whatever. I didn't look up how to pronounce anybody's names. (laughs) Hint of, hint of, actor. Yes, a.k.a. Ranheim, the truck driver. You may know him from Free Willy 3, The Rescue. Of course. And the TV movie Diagnosis Murder. Diagnosis of Murder. Uh, <laughs> Diagnosis Murder, starring Dick Van Dyke. I just had to write that one down because it's the same thing twice. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say colon, though. Is there a colon There's in there? There's a colon, Okay, yes. good, because it would have been unacceptable otherwise. Oh, I, should I say colon when there's a colon? Because a lot of these have them. Oh, definitely. If, if there's a lot of colons... We need the colons. Otherwise, we're going to be confused. I see. All right. We also have Tom Braidwood, a.k.a. Frohike. Froike? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's one of the lone gunmen. Yes. I think he called him Frohike. I think so, too. But then you looked at me, and I was like, I don't know, man. Because well, I couldn't remember who he was, because he has two lines, and they're both gross. Yes. But I had one of the lone gunmen, so I figured I should have all of them. Makes sense. And I don't remember what... Until you said he was gross, I couldn't remember which one he was either, because as soon as they came on the screen, I blacked out and didn't listen to anything. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I was like, I can't. (laughs) Anyway, he was in a TV movie called Moment of Truth, colon, A Child Too Many. So they get rid of one of them? I guess. (laughs) The moment of truth. Which child are you getting rid of? I don't know. It sounds awful. Is that an alternate title to uh, Sophie's Choice? Yes. (laughs) He was also in a TV series called Nightmare Cafe. I wonder if that is the show that I was telling you about earlier today. I wonder now. Because it was in a cafe. Yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah. I bet it was then. I bet you told me about a whole different thing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to look that up. Yes, but later. Let's get through (laughs) the cast. We're only through two. All right, we have Dean Hagland, a.k.a. Langley. He was in something called Rice Girl Gone Wildcat. Yeah, sounds good. I just liked the name. I was yeah. like, what are what are all of these nouns put together? <laughs> and also, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, colon, the TV show. Oh, <laughs> nice. Bruce Harwood is Byers. He was in Adventures in Public School. Uh, so was I. <laughs> and not, also, a, not a movie, though. Just I had Adventures in Public School. I see. Any you would like to share that are pertinent to this episode? <sighs> To this episode, no. I've got nothing for that. All right. He was also in Every Christmas Has a Story. It, that's true. Most of them aren't any good. <laughs> I opened a present. It was what I wanted. <laughs> I thanked my parents. 
Uh, Roger Cross, a.k.a. the guard who looks like someone but isn't that person, but then it turned out that he was that person. <laughs> I forgot to. Was that his credit? <laughs> no, his credit is Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Oh, and nice. something called Hot Bath and a Stiff Drink 2. Well, we did watch Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. And I couldn't remember if we watched it or not. Yes, so. <laughs> we did. Apparently, that's how I feel about it. It didn't retain it at all. Mm, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And Ellie Harvey is the woman with amazing eyelashes. She'll come up later. That's all that I wrote her as. But she was in R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour and a TV movie called Gym Teacher, colon, The Movie. <laughs> wow. That sounds like a good one. All right. Well, that was the longest list of cast I think I've gotten through ever. But... There were a lot of people in this one. IMDb says Mulder and Scully become the focus of a disinformation campaign when they attempt to trace the government's secret transport of an alien life form. That's pretty good uh, description. Yep. And before I get into the first scene, how did you feel about this episode overall? I liked it, which I find fun because I think this is the first one I liked and you didn't. No, I don't. I will not remember this one tomorrow. It will be really interesting to re-listen to this in a couple of weeks when it drops because I'll be like, I can't remember that one at all. (laughs) Yeah, this is not my genre of anything. I enjoyed it. But I knew that it wouldn't be as soon as um, I saw where we opened up and I was like, oh, this is, I'm out. So we open in the skies of Iraq. Oh, such a beautiful star backdrop. (laughs) I, I wonder if Neil deGrasse Tyson has butchered this one and said well that's not what the stars really are like in 1994 (laughs) well you didn't let me finish where we're at we're also at the 37th parallel yes present day Uh are you aware of what significance the 37th parallel is no and i forgot that you had something to say about that so please it is just where in america anyway i'm not sure if it's the same overseas but in america the 37th parallel like you know latitude longitudinal line i know what that is i just don't know what the significance is it is a hotbed of alien activity well quote activity it is a hotbed of alien of ufo sightings okay for some reason Hmm. okay i don't know why and i didn't look it up and neither did you so (laughs) No. no but that information is just in my brain but i do have a science corner later that i'm excited about oh yay All right, so an Iraqi fighter pilot is flying when he spots a psychedelic UFO against that backdrop you just mentioned. Or maybe it's a rave UFO. Hard to tell. I'm not sure what was happening in 1994. Yep. Yes, raves were definitely a thing in 1994. He looks down at his radar and sees that the UFO does not show up on his radar, but he looks back at it, and he looks at his radar, and he looks back at it, and he does this a couple of times. So then he radios the base, and they don't see it because it's not showing up on any radars. And suddenly he's being attacked. The fighter pilot locks onto his target somehow, even though the machines aren't picking it up. Whatever, he hits it, it explodes, that's it. Yeah, the explosion was so close to his plane. It was, yes. It was right up in his cockpit. <laughs> yes. Like that thing, he, if he was being attacked, he would have been dead. It was crazy, you're right. It was so crazy. It was, yeah, it was basically his own plane exploding. But we don't see that his plane lands in Hakari, Turkey, at a NATO surveillance station on the Turkey-Iraq border. Something crashes, and an officer says, oh, man. (laughs) 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 
and radios Red Crescent from Southern Crescent. <laughs> Ugh, code names. Red doesn't see anything. Southern says they've got something and goes to investigate. Red radios someone else about a downed aircraft. And so that's where these guys are. are. Oh, and they're also, this is the, oh, well, NATO surveillance station. They are speaking English and the Iraqis were speaking Arabic as as far as they were telling us in closed caption because we don't speak Arabic. Yeah. <laughs> if it was good Arabic, awesome. I'm impressed. If it wasn't, I'm a stupid American and can't tell. So now we are at 12.20 a.m. Central Time, Route 100 in Reagan, Tennessee. We see a semi-truck driver fiddling with his radio. And here's a little bit of trivia. So Peter LaCroix, who plays the truck driver Rainheim, later played different characters in The X-Files Ascension and The X-Files Unrequited. So you're going to see him again, but he's not going to be this he's character. different characters? Yes. Ah. So it doesn't actually give anything away. Look, I'm respecting your boundaries here. Well, that's good. No spoilers. We're a spoiler-free podcast. We only spoil the episode if you haven't seen it. Which would be weird for you to listen to this. Yeah. A commercial for Goody's Headache Powder that really tickles David comes on. That's because it reminds me of going to my grandparents' house. Because we would watch Granol Aubrey and NASCAR. Before NASCAR was like NASCAR, mm-hmm. it was just stock car racing. And like Richard Petty would be... Goody's headache powder. It's crushed up aspirin. I, right. You dump it in the water and you mix it up and you drink the water and you get your aspirin that way. And I always was just baffled by what's the point of that <laughs> as a child. It's like, what? Okay, just take an aspirin. Doesn't make any sense to me. This stuff's way more expensive than just buying a bottle of aspirin. But hearing it on the on the episode transported me to Columbus, Indiana. Okay. I love it. There's a little bit of nostalgia for you. Yep. His radio scans through a bunch of stations, but he's out in the middle of nowhere, so it's not unusual to lose a signal. I know that this is supposed to be a big, like, a big tell, but if you've ever been on a road trip across the country, you've hit places like this. No, you're exactly right, because at my first viewing of this, I was like, oh, this is just, this is what happens when UFOs go. And the second viewing, you said, so is the radio just scanning? And I went, oh, yeah, that's exactly what's <laughs> That's a good uh, feint for the yes. director. Good job, uh, Billy Graham. Yes, I actually do like that because the first time, that's exactly what I thought. The second time, after seeing the whole thing, I realized what they were doing. Well, actually, a little bit later, I realized what they were doing. So that was where I was just thinking about being in the backseat of the car, driving from California to Florida, and <laughs> you just hit those dead spots yeah. where the only thing is like Christian rock and <laughs> Christian... evangelism yeah (laughs) somehow they have the strongest signals anywhere well there's that guy who basically invented talk radio yeah in texas and his signal reached canada right yeah Yeah. amazing um so he flips on his cb radio and flips through the channels to find to pick up somebody pick up a conversation and said i get it you don't want to be alone with your thoughts even for a moment He picks up a CB conversation about something over a water tower as a cop car flies by with lights and sirens. And then suddenly his truck dies. And this is what happens with aliens. Part of the chatter over the CB, though, they were describing cigar-shaped with yellow and orange lights. Yes. But then what he sees... Isn't that. Isn't that. And what he tells 
Mulder and Scully is about the cigar-shaped one that other people have. Well, he mixes them all up. Yes, because that's what he. That's what they said he told them yesterday. He said cigar. Yeah, cigar-shaped and black. And then when he talks to Mulder and Scully, he says saucer-shaped with the orange and green lights. That's right. So it's all mixed together. So he either he can't keep it straight because something's wrong with his brain, or he just forgot what lie he said, and he had these <laughs> he, he had these four facts in his in, in his head somewhere. Put them together just, in as many ways as you want. <laughs> scrambling it all again. So after his truck dies, he gets out. But the, at this point, the cop car has already left, and he's just on this stretch of road that where no one is and nothing is. So he gets out, he's got his shotgun, and we see a flying saucer come over, levitate over the trees and the road. And then he opens the back of his truck or it opens. It opens on its own. Okay, it opens on its own. And then he fires into the back of his truck. Having seen the episode, he killed that alien. Yes. And I would like to hear like a prop department commentary on this. Because I want to know what they used for the UFO there. Because it kind of just looked like the bottom of somebody's boot to me. Oh, huh. It looked like the bottom of the astronaut's boot. Like that kind of yeah. line tread on it. Okay, that's interesting. I remember looking at it and thinking it looks familiar, but I didn't get to bottom of the boot. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting. So if anybody knows, let us know. We're still on Route 100, Reagan, Tennessee, but it's daytime. Scully said it could have been a mountain lion or it might have been swamp gas. She also says it could have been a bunch of things. And Mulder's not really paying attention to whatever it is she's saying. He's just like, yeah, could be, maybe. Whatever qualifier she gives at the beginning of her sentence, he just repeats back to her. That's, yes, that's what I, he's doing. I thought it was pretty fun. She's like, possibly it's, and he's like, possibly. <laughs> it could be, blah, blah, blah. Could be. Yes. I know that you liked that because you kept giggling through each, both times we watched that, you giggled during that scene. Mulder picks up some evidence that he doesn't try to eat. <laughs> Coward. <laughs> and then he makes a fart joke. And then he brings up Okaboji. Yeah. Yay, Okaboji! And apparently there's a lot of radiation, five times the normal amount. Whatever. Here's a bit of trivia from this scene. Early in the story, Mulder tells Scully about places where he's experienced multiple sightings of UFOs. One that he mentions is Okaboji Falls, which Scully would have known because she was there. That's what I was going to say. Yep. He didn't need to tell her about that one. Nope. And Scully says, isn't it more plausible that an exhausted truck driver became swept up in hysteria and fired at hallucinations? I mean, after all, the road can play tricks on you. And Mulder is playing with stopwatches. One with a fresh battery and one with a battery that's dying. <laughs> that's your explanation? Yep. Because <laughs> I can't think of an explanation. They didn't lose time, like pass out and lose time or anything like the pilot. They just walked around. So is this radiation affecting time somehow? No, he's just got one with a fresh battery and one with a slowly dying battery. That makes sense because later on, I guess he put the fresh battery in the other one. Yep. Because I can't think of a reason why there would be a time difference. No, it doesn't make sense for what, what they're doing. And they don't tell us. No, it doesn't actually come up. They just wanted to use the stopwatches. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't care for that bit. But still, like this episode. Next, we're at the police station in Lexington, Tennessee. Uh, now they're harassing the truck driver who has a rash and a fever. He's a vet. He says he knows how to handle a gun. He describes a different UFO today than he did yesterday, as we just mentioned. And he says he didn't ask for any of this. He just wants to deliver his auto parts. Thank you very much. He's also coughing like the kindred guy who died, who was covered in phlegm and then forced to wear a bad wig. Yes, he is coughing like that guy. 
But did you notice that he looks like Colonel Lieutenant Colonel Budahas from Yes Episode two. Oh, do you think this is the same aliens? It's American technology based on alien technology. Oh yes, you're right. Ugh, I am acting like I didn't see the end of that other episode. Yeah. But I and then they kind of illustrate later in this episode that that's what they're doing here. Good job. Good continuity, guys. Yeah. Very good. Okay, I like that. It's I like elements of it. Yeah, it's good stuff. Scully asks him about the cough, saying it resembles World War Gulf I don't know why I was going to say World War Gulf <laughs> syndrome. Gulf War syndrome. And that was when you said something like, Gulf War was so long ago. <laughs> I, or no, I had completely blanked on... The whole war. HW's Gulf right. War. And had focused, I was focusing on W's Gulf War. And was like, wait, that hadn't happened yet. <laughs> is what I was saying. Yeah. Because I for, completely forgot about Desert Storm. Yes. Because it lasted 40 days and I was in junior high. And I was like... This is BS. <laughs> How dare you? My father and my uncle were in that war. Wow. That's tragic. I know. I'm sorry. Good to meet them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish people could... I wish we could insert that video here. I might see if I could do that. Okay. Thank you oh, for your please. service. Oh, thank sure. you. The real heroes are still there, but I appreciate it. Thank that. you for your service. Thank you. Yeah, grateful nation. And this is our friend Larry. Hey, hey, nice to meet you. Um, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you know what? Um, I'm gonna excuse myself. Picture. A guy named Rivers comes in terrified and not playing it off well. I don't know if you clocked it immediately, but I was like, oh, somebody got to him. Like, he walks in, and I'm like, he's he's done. No, I wrote down Chief Scaredy Pants. <laughs> okay, so yes, you did. <laughs> he grabs Mulder, and I said, bold. <laughs> uh, Mulder gets that something is off and tells Scully to shush, not here, and they leave. Next, they're at the airport in Tennessee, and there's the whole pen incident. Would you like to explain the pen incident? Okay, I watched very closely this time, because I wanted to see if they show her swap it out. They didn't. No, they, she got... They kept cutting away, they but... They cut her out of the scene, yeah. In the middle of Scully filling out some forms, the lady next to her, who was very poorly pretending to write with the pen she was holding, <laughs> it was like an inch above the paper, and she exasperated, goes, oh, 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 my pen's out of ink, oh. <laughs> And then taps Scully and says, hey, can I borrow your pen? While Scully's using it. And Scully's just like, yeah, sure, here you go. And then she gives her back the pen. And it's scenes later when we find out what was going on there. Yes. Are you okay? My leg is asleep. And I'm getting the pins and needles every time I move it. Wow. All right. That's why I shifted. I see. Scully and Mulder get on the shuttle. And Mulder mentions the lone gunman. So, obviously, the next scene, we are in the Lone Gunman's office in Washington, D.C. And I got excited for this because, even though I never watched The X-Files, I remember watching an episode of the spinoff, The Lone Gunman. You watched one episode? One episode. <laughs> At least one, because I remember one. So, I guess that's a spoiler, that these guys are going to be around long enough to get a spinoff. <laughs> All I say about this scene is three guys with bad haircuts spew some conspiracy theory bullish and ruin Scully's $20 bill. I wrote down, I believe in a lot of the same things they do. 
Except they give a little too much credit. Like Scully says, you give the government too much credit because they say there's a government inside of a government. And no, not really. The CIA just acts extrajudicially. They're like their own separate entity that is not bound by the United States government whatsoever, which is a big problem. <laughs> which is why everything in the global south sucks because of the CIA. I understood what you're saying. I'm yeah. just letting you go. Oh, Usually you don't like me talking like this. Okay, CIA, if you're listening, and I know you are, (laughs) I don't like you. So here's a little bit of trivia while we're still at this office. The inspiration for The Lone Gunman came from a group of men that writers Glenn Morgan and Marilyn Osborne met at a UFA convention in June of 1993. Oh, nice. So some real people. I wonder if they look exactly like the real people. I think that would be funny. I liked that little bit because while these aren't my favorite characters, I think the characters, the character development of them is good. Mm-hmm. So I could def- I could see that. That's that's fun. And I think that it's great that they built them around some people they met, yeah. which is awesome. So next we are at the X-Files office in Washington, D.C. Your favorite line's coming up so far. <laughs> Scully says, those were the most paranoid people I have ever met. I don't know how you could think that what they say is even remotely plausible. And Mulder says, I think it's remotely plausible that someone might think you're hot. <laughs> it, was, it was a good line. <laughs> it was good coming from Mulder. It was gross coming from uh, Broheim. Yeah, because he just goes, you're hot, she's hot, and then takes a picture of her. Yeah. And those are the only lines he had. Yeah, he was gross, but Mulder was funny. Yeah, Mulder was funny. Scully is twisting her pen as she's talking and opens it, uncovering some interesting welding. And then I said, Mulder stares longingly at a pen I've decided Scully got at the FBI gift shop earlier. (laughs) (laughs) When she says, hey, Mulder, look at this. It's like, hey, look what I got. Not, hey, look, someone is tracking us. So I've been to Washington, D.C. a couple of times, and my favorite place to visit is the Spy Museum. And so that's exactly where my brain went (laughs) when she opened that. I was like, it looks like a thing in the Spy Museum, which I understand is what they're actually going for, so it all works. But I decided you could also buy it in the gift shop. (laughs) Now we go to Mulder's apartment. He gives a signal by taking a regular light bulb out of a... One of the weird arm lamp. I can't remember what they're called. Desk lamp. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) My words are gone today. Uh, He changes the light bulb out with a blue light and shines it on a specific window. As he's waiting for a response, he falls asleep and the phone rings. And that's where we hear the secret code click. So, of course, the next scene includes your favorite person. Bathroom troll. Mulder and Deep Throat talk baseball. Yeah, pitchers and catchers report next week. I wasn't sure. Yeah, because they report to spring training before uh, just your utility players do. The pitchers and catchers is why I thought baseball, and then they said a bunch of other words, and I was like, I don't know. I said, maybe we can go to a game at Camden Yards, which is where the Orioles play. And then he said, every other ballpark, which is where every other team plays. (laughs) And sometimes the Orioles. Sometimes the Orioles. (laughs) That's right. And it was fun hearing them talk about baseball for because for the last two weeks the dollop has been doing billy martin who is one of my favorite characters in all of baseball yeah he was a new york yankee manager seven times six times six times i think hired and fired six times in like eight years (laughs) george steinbrenner was a monster yeah sounds like it yes 
Ugh. And now we have Stein, we have Steinbrenner Field here. Yeah. It's also baseball. It's the reason I live here. <laughs> I'm a New York Yankees fan. Which is so funny. You say that, and I've never seen you watch a game or go to a game. Yeah. Well, I've talked about going to games a lot. Uh, Mulder is eating sunflower seeds and weirdly unconcerned about nighttime photographers. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's uh, just a tourist. Just a tourist taking a picture of nothing in the middle of the night. I did say that at first, but then realized they're at the Lincoln Memorial, so I, it is lit up. Oh, okay. So it does it does make some sense. But if you're on a covert mission or covert clandestine meeting in the middle of the night that you have to have lights and phone clicks. Wouldn't you're not you be good. A... Yeah, you're not good at spying if you're taking a camera at night with a flash. No, not I'm not saying that person, but wouldn't Mulder be a little bit on higher guard? Maybe, but like I just said, if you're a spy and you're taking a picture in the middle of the night using a flash, you're a terrible spy. Maybe. I think this is just this is just another example of where I feel like Mulder should be better than he is. I guess so. I'm giving him a pass in this one because if somebody's following them, they're using like a nighttime lens, okay. high-tech camera. That... Well, just in case, Deep Throat turns away and says, in their line of work, nothing is just a photograph, which I also think is true because even if it was a tourist and then they get caught in the back of that photograph, that could be, it's them being caught together. Yeah. And they aren't allowed to be together. Yeah, I'm not blaming him either. Star-crossed lovers, baby. Yeah, sure. So he says in their line of work, nothing is just a photograph. And I said, hold on to that clue for later. <laughs> Mulder asks who's listening to them through Scully's souvenir pen. Deep Throat doesn't respond. He just hands him a manila envelope. And Mulder asks, what am I on to? Deep Throat says, a dangerous path. <laughs> I like it when you do voices. <laughs> Hey guys, this week we are very proud to bring you the promo for a podcast that is quickly becoming like our sister podcast. <laughs> yes, it is Homicide Worldwide Podcast. And if you haven't listened and you do like true crime, this is one you need to check out. If you are looking for some place to start, I would suggest the O.J. Simpson episodes. There's two of them. They are phenomenal. Talk a lot about Ron Goldman and Nicole Brown Simpson, things that you haven't heard yet. I also really enjoyed the Dennis Lynn Raider podcast. It's two-parter, and I'm not going to tell you what nickname he gave himself. <laughs> so you should listen to that. And then last week was one I had not heard of, the Twitter killer, Takahiro Shirashi. So honestly, you'll find some old ones that you've heard before or you've heard about before, but in a new way and some new ones. Check them out. Definitely put this on your rotation. Hello there. Are you looking for your new favorite true crime podcast? Well, I'm Kita. And I'm Sally. And we are the co-hosts of Homicide Worldwide Podcast. We are two human females who <laughs> like to talk about murder. Every week we get together and we talk about the details, the psychology, and of course, some good smack talk. Join us every Friday for a new episode of Homicide Worldwide. Uh, now we're in the X-Files office. <laughs> I said Mulder's watching TV. I don't know what he was actually doing. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> so he's doing something. And Scully's doing work. She discovers that the truck driver isn't who he said he was. He was actually in the Gulf War, in the Black Berets, and in Iraq. 
she did a bunch of stuff. She says, Mulder, this was a lot of work for me. I worked really hard. And he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Scully comes in like, I am the big brain. Slams her findings on the desk. Like, check out my big brain. It's great. She's great. She is great. And I have another scene coming up where I'm just like, Scully wins. Me everything. too. <laughs> I bet it's the same I scene. bet it is. Mulder decides it makes sense because the government and military often transport things in unmarked vehicles. And when they do, they use ex-military. And I said, it sounds feasible. But they start arguing like it's never been heard of before. Right. And I said, I don't know. I've lived near Air Force bases my whole life. And I know that they transport things that you can identify as military things. And I know that they transport things in other types of vehicles that you don't know what's in it. That's just... I thought everybody knew that. Yeah, me too. It seemed like a weird thing for them to be arguing about. The truck driver lying about his identity, I see, could be a thing. But pretending like the government doesn't transport things covertly seems like a waste of time. But whatever. Mulder is... (laughs) is talking and he he laughs and says, I'm starting to sound like the lone gunman about the unmarked vehicles transporting. <laughs> about a perfectly plausible thing. Yeah. And he refuses to tell her about Deep Throat because Deep Throat has never lied to him and he won't break that trust. Yeah. I and actually get protecting your sources. I do too. But this is just another... If this was the only thing, I'd be like, fine. But it's not. And we'll get to that in a minute, too. Uh, now he's going home, and he'll pick up Scully in an hour. One of the things that she talks about the, the truck mm-hmm. is its weight. It's listed at, like, 3,400 pounds. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's getting weighed in at 5,100 pounds. Yeah. Knowing what we know about it, because we're led to believe that it's got an alien spaceship in there. Right. Which makes sense. But it doesn't. It just has an alien body in it. Right. It has a heavy-ass alien body. Very dense. Very, very dense. I'm not sure how they lift it later or how the beds hold it me neither yeah you need some extra double support on that and when uh when Mulder leaves the room here he like puts his hand on Scully's shoulder and leans in a little and I was like oh is he gonna kiss her (laughs) it's just for a second there it it looked like he was gonna lean all the way down and kiss her he kisses her because they just got into a tiff yeah he's like I'm leaving but I still love you (laughs) I'm just mad right now <laughs> um, now we're back at Mulder's apartment. Deep Throat has cut the power when he could have just fl- slipped the envelope under the door because the hallway is still lit and it's not like he's in a disguise or anything. He's always wearing exactly that outfit, so he's very easy to identify. <laughs> not in Washington, D.C. Every spy wears that outfit. I guess that's true. Also, Mulder is way too trusting of a guy. this guy, and I'm bored with how naive he is. Mm. He even thanks Deep Throat for mm. never lying to him. <laughs> So that's the part where there was a whole speech and I'm like, ugh, you're not even a little bit skeptical or even wondering why this guy's helping you? There's not even an inkling? You're just gonna believe him? Yes. Why? Clearly he is. Why? Because he told him about the crash, the crashed alien in the Predator episode, and he helped him in the episode two. Oh, that's called Deep Throat. Yep. (sighs) And then he showed up in the... Eve episode to give him information there that was all good. But why? Why isn't Mulder wondering why? Because, like he said in the, at the end of episode two, I want to get to the truth. Okay. But he already knows the truth, so it's weird. He wants to know the details of the truth, I think. Well, at the end of the episode, I got something to say about it. Okay. Now we're in Scully's apartment. 
And I said, Mulder is like a four-year-old boy with a brand new hobby. Scully is like a mom who's used to this and lets him chatter away until he goes too far. Are they in Scully's apartment? I thought they were in the... They're in Scully's apartment. So she just has that powdered creamer in her apartment? That's tomorrow. That's tomorrow. Okay, good. She stops his rambling by identifying that the best photo Mulder has ever seen was a fake with 15 seconds of time and a magnifying glass. Yeah, just nails it. Mulder storms out, or starts to, but before he does, she says some really nice things and warns him in a very respectful way that while she respects him for all of his passion and interest and all of this stuff, other people are also watching who don't respect him. And I was like, good job. And he should listen. This is where she says, the truth is out there, but so are lies. He thanks her before leaving, less stormily. (laughs) And then tomorrow... It is now tomorrow at 8.30 a.m. And now I have something to say about it. So FBI headquarters, Washington, D.C. Scully gets coffee. When she comes back, someone's knocked over her bag. Mulder stalks out of the dark behind her. It's creepy, man. Turn on some lights. The good news is Mulder actually listened to Scully after throwing a fit at her place the night before. He got the photo checked, and Scully was right. They can't trust anyone but each other. Yes, but each other. So in the scene before, I was like, oh, I really like, I really like Scully. Yeah. This is becoming a great character. And then it transfers over to this scene, and then she uses that powdered coffee in her, or, or that powdered creamer in her coffee, and I wrote down, except for the powdered creamer. That's unacceptable. What is wrong with you, lady? That's all she has. I, then use nothing. <laughs> I'm offended by that powdered creamer. Wow. You This are- is the worst thing that's been in this tv show oh gosh <laughs> you're just letting go of all of the rape powdered creamer wow you heard it here folks <laughs> now they're at an aquarium oh they never explained why the bag was knocked over nope they didn't that's a weird thing for me too are we supposed to believe that Mulder knocked over the bag but why would Mulder knock over the bag i don't think so because he comes from the other side of the room yeah and maybe through a door, there's a sound. So he, he makes a lot of weird noises over there. I don't know. Yeah. They don't explain it. So maybe it was just a, maybe it was a red herring. Maybe her bag was just... Weighted weird? Yeah. Okay. So now we're at the aquarium. Ah, <laughs> oh, what a nice aquarium. Gorgeous. I would have stood and watched those sharks for hours. I watched those sharks through most of the scene. So let's see what I picked up. <laughs> they didn't leave for Fort Benning. Like Deep Throat was expecting. And Mulder says, the photograph was a fake. No response from Deep Throat. And at least you're not insulting me further by feigning appalled surprise. (laughs) I was like, really? You just thanked him and like kissed his shoes a minute ago. And now you're thanking him again for not insulting you further. It's just dramatic. it's, It's a lot. Yeah, it's very dramatic. I appreciate the drama. Okay, you know what? It is a TV drama. Deep Throat says, On the contrary, I think a compliment is in order. That photo was formed by our very best. And I, I appreciate the response with drama. And Mulder said, I thought you were my ally. And more drama. <laughs> it's wonderful. And so here's where I said, Scully is amazing. Because she picked out a photo that was, oh, I get it. He was supposed to figure out that it was a lie. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm, I didn't pick up that at all. I only picked it up this time when I was being sarcastic about everybody's lines. Uh, (laughs) So now I've changed the entire tone in my head. Because he does say, okay, so I'm not sure, but he does say 
he had to sandwich a lie between two truths. Yeah. So was the photo the lie that was sandwiched between two truths to throw somebody else off the scent or to throw them off the scent? Uh-huh. Either, whatever is happening with this, because now, now I've mixed myself up with, I'm not even sure what I think, but if it was genuine and the best put this together, Scully figured it out with a magnifying glass and less than 15 seconds time. Yeah. Uh, he does start the conversation with, why aren't you on your way to Georgia? So he definitely expected him to believe the picture. Yeah. So I'm not sure, actually. <sighs> Deep Throat says that he had to light a Mulder, but it's okay. He also admits to watching Mulder for years to decide if Mulder can be trusted, which is creepy. He also says that Mulder was right about the truck and Deep Throat has to sandwich a lie between two truths. And he says that people are, that they, air quotes they, are still listening, but Deep Throat is not in charge of the electronic devices. Uh, The final thing that Deep Throat says, do you have anything to say about this scene before I go into Science Corner? Yes. Okay. Bathroom Troll gives him every clue he needs to know where the surveillance stuff is. Because he said he he killed the breaker. So you know that it's hardwired into your electricity. And that's how you kill it. So he gave him a very good clue. Okay. On how how to find the bugs. Okay. And also Mulder gets disillusioned for a second and says all of these things that the United States government did bad, like bad things. He mentions a couple, he, the JFK assassination, or the Kennedy assassinations, both of them, which, eh, no, no, <laughs> not a conspiracy. But goes through another list, uh, another couple, like the Tuskegee experiments, which were real bad. Does not mention MK Ultra, <laughs> which I would think he would, because that was messed up and does not mention COINTEL Pro. And I know the reason he didn't mention that is because that was the FBI. <laughs> Everything else was the CIA. Well, except for the Kennedy assassinations. No. <laughs> that was just a dipish. Science Corner with Kristen. All right. So the last thing that Deep Throat says is if sharks stop swimming, they will die. Don't stop swimming. That's false. Sharks do not die if they stop swimming. So, we're going to take a a science corner to Britannica.com. Remember Britannica from being a kid? (laughs) Yes. So, all right. If you look at the nurse shark and the tiger shark, this belief is already proven false. These and a few other shark species can stop swimming whenever they want. If you've ever snorkeled or scuba dived or free dived or been in the ocean where there are nurse sharks and you see one, they're just hanging out in a little cave. They're not moving, so it's obviously not true. Uh, they're also really cool to see, so I hope that we see some when we finally finish getting dive certified. They breathe by way of buccal pumping, actively inhaling water by using cheek muscles to draw water into the mouth and over the gills. This allows sharks to stop moving but continue breathing. They can rest on the ocean floor without worry and can even partially bury themselves in the sand using respiratory openings behind the eyes called spiracles to pull water through their gills when their mouths are covered. Weird. Yeah, so super cool. So that's one set. There's three types of breathing that sharks can do. So that's one. But some sharks, shark species don't have the luxury of buccal pumping. For example, the great white shark, the whale shark, and the mako shark don't have buccal muscles at all. 
Instead, these sharks rely on obligate ram ventilation, a way of breathing that requires sharks to swim with their mouths open. The faster they swim, the more water is pushed through their gills. If they stop swimming, they stop receiving oxygen. They move or die. So some sharks can die if they stop swimming, but not all sharks. Great, why does have those chubby cheeks? They don't have any muscles there. <laughs> chubby cheeks. Other shark species, such as the reef shark, breathe using a combination of buccal pumping and obligate ram ventilation. When swimming slowly, they can use buccal pumping to supplement the amount of oxygen received from ventilation. And if they choose to stop moving for a few minutes, they won't risk their life. Though they generally aren't as adept at stillness as sharks that breathe by buccal pumping alone. Of these three ways that sharks breathe, the combination of buccal pumping and obligate ram ventilation is by far the most common. Most kinds of sharks then won't die if they stop swimming. All right. What about the black tip shark? That one wasn't mentioned here. I'm going to say that one's probably in the combo. That's what I would guess. Okay. Because that's what he was pointing to. He just said sharks. I know, but he was pointing at a black tip. Well, it isn't listed in their examples. So anyway, the overall blanket statement is false. Back in Mulder's apartment, Mulder is destroying his apartment looking for the bug. He makes all kinds of noises looking for this thing. He's banging things around, he's destroying things, he's taking things apart. He eventually finds a bug in his electrical socket, just like you said, is basically where Teethro told him to look. And then he immediately pretends for the bug, but not for Scully, that he was just sitting around thinking when Scully arrived. <laughs> Scully, I was just thinking. <laughs> I wasn't doing anything else. I wasn't doing anything at all. I didn't ramshackle, ramshackle? <laughs> ransack. I didn't ransack my entire apartment. I haven't been doing anything for the last six hours. I don't know what all that noise was. <laughs> there was a tornado that came through. Slowly. He lets her in, pretends to continue a conversation while showing her the bug and a piece of paper that says, we have to find the truck. And she agrees, and Mulder is very sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> we see a street scene in washington dc it's an elaborate dance to get away from whoever is following them i wonder where they were when they developed this plan they don't know what all is bugged they can't talk in the fbi offices because obviously obviously can't talk in either of their apartments could be he went and cut the power and then they talked i guess but yeah the next thing we see is that they've got this huge elaborate plan but there is somebody following both of them Scully gets away from the one guy by hailing a taxi and then he can't follow her. Pretty easily. Yeah. And Mulder basically causes, he tries to cause 11 car accidents, but somehow there aren't any. Uh, I can tell you from experience that what Mulder did happens all the time, everywhere. I'm sure. The person turning left just goes. Good, just goes yeah. in front of everybody. Well, um, now we're at the airport. Scully has a round-trip ticket to Chicago. She also buys a one-way ticket to Los Angeles with a stop in Vegas, saying she'll pay cash, thanks. And this is where the lady with the amazing eyelashes is, who was in the R.L. Stein Ah, show. okay. She finds it odd that she's buying this with, uh, buying a second ticket with cash, but she doesn't say anything, because she is a professional. Good job, eyelash lady. Then we see them in the Las Vegas airport. Scully flew to Vegas. And I said, Mulder also flew? Because at first I thought he drove. But then they have this conversation and he obviously flew. Because the last thing that we saw him in was the car. Yeah, but he, he makes a turn 
And the street sign says Baltimore Airport. Oh, I didn't look it up. I would think I was looking at other cars. I didn't look at the sign. Okay. So I said I thought he drove, but he says that he was on an air phone next to a Japanese businessman who didn't appreciate him being on the phone for three hours, so obviously he flew. They meet in a souvenir shop where someone has just hit the jackpot. Did you hear all those coins clinking? <laughs> no, I missed that. Uh, Mulder has had no luck finding any information, but don't worry. Scully knows exactly where the truck is and where it's headed and how to get in front of it. <laughs> because she is the best FBI agent of all time. Yes. And when people say ACAB includes Mulder and Scully, I might start responding with not Scully. <laughs> Uh, now we are at, it's 6.30, we're in Pacific Time at the junction of Highways 90 and 283 in Washington State. Mulder is eating sunflower seeds. I have to point it out whenever I see it. Oh, he does it multiple times in this episode. He did it with the meeting with Bathroom Troll earlier. I said so. Oh, I forgot. Um, and Scully's keeping watch for the truck. She spots a truck and they follow it for hours. At some point they switch drivers because by the time the truck loses power... Scully is driving and Mulder is dozing. I like to think about where they stopped during these hours because obviously they had to stop if they switched drivers. If it were a large truck stop, they'd be easy to pick out in the crowd wearing suits. I don't believe I've ever seen a suit inside a Flying J. Hmm. What about Loves? Not a suit in there either. Oh, wow. What about a... I can't think of the other one. Smileys? Oh, I don't know Smileys. I just looked up what was in Nevada and Flying J was there, so that's why I used that one. They stop with the truck, then knock over a bunch of boxes crawling through the back of the trailer until they find a life support system. And I actually like this setup, so great job, props. Yeah. It was really well done. Scully can't stop shaking. She asks what happened and does it fit the profile. Mulder is unbothered, but no, Mulder says it's a hoax. It's fun when Scully starts to believe and Mulder shuts her down immediately like it was a dumb idea to have in the first place and starts questioning things. I said, fun times and stopwatches. <laughs> At least Mulder is finally starting to be objective about some stuff. Only when Scully starts to believe. Well, I think it was the being lied to that starts making him go this direction. Everybody's lying to Mulder. He just doesn't realize yeah, it. <laughs> right, but now he's realized it. And I think that's what's made him start going this direction. I, he did it when um, in the Beyond the Sea episode, too. Yeah, that was he was just completely compromised in that episode. Yeah, but... I think... And I don't know if Scully was starting to believe. I think she was just asking the question, does this fit the profile? But she was also shaking. She was, but I think that's because something happened to them. I agree. Something happened. All right, well, on to the next scene. We're in the hotel room. Mulder has contacted several organizations that have hotlines for UFO reports. And every time he mentions NICAP, David gets sad for Max. Yeah, I do. But it was smart to call a bunch of the UFO hotlines to do the work for them because that's where people are going to be calling in. So, pretty cool. At the end of that scene, before they leave the hotel, they decide that they need to go to Mottawa and they circle it on a map. So now we're in Mottawa, which is in Washington State. They've driven through Mottawa full circle twice. There's nothing here. Nothing except a UFO party. A pretty sweet UFO party. Did you notice the guy wearing dinosaur hands? Yes. He said hello in an intergalactic language and points them to where they need to go. I said, sure, this group is goofy, but they're having fun, so I'm all for it. Oh, yeah, I'd totally be. I'd hang with them. Yeah, super cool. Super fun. Mulder and Scully leave the party and see uh, Rainheim coming out of a high-security facility. What they call, what the UFO people call the power plant. That, yeah. That has no power lines anywhere near it. So I'm not sure why they think it's a power plant. 
Underground? Yeah, I don't think that's how it works. I don't know. I've been near many power plants and there's just... None of them have looked like that. No. And also, at this point, I noticed the bumper sticker on the car too many times to not look it up. It says Lariat, clearly, and they... Multiple times you keep seeing this bumper sticker. I decided it has to be a thing. What is Lariat? So I looked it up. It's the rental car company that they rent their cars from. And then it has shown up as the rental car company in other TV shows. Oh, okay. Veronica Mars is one of them and uh, something else that I forget. But I don't know if it's a shout out to X-Files when other shows do it or if it's just what was in the prop department. I don't know. Like Heisler beer. Right. Well, Mulder calls the Lone Ranger. This time just the one. Lone Gunman. Oh, I did write the Lone Ranger. Whatever. (laughs) Anyway, he calls them. Mulder trades the first substantiated photo of an extraterrestrial biological entity for some hacked IDs. Yeah, and I wonder what he's going to end up paying them with later. Right? Uh, At the power plant in Mottawa, Langley hacked them some IDs. (laughs) And I'm wondering if naming him Langley was ironic, was supposed to be ironic. It must have been. Yeah. It has to have been. For anybody who doesn't know... Langley is the CIA headquarters. It has to be. Yeah. So a little bit of trivia. The name Mulder uses to infiltrate the military base is Tom Braidwood. Tom Braidwood is the name of the actor who plays Melvin Frohike and is also a first assistant director on the series. Oh, fun. Yep. Okay. And the cover name given to Scully is Val Stefoff, which is a variation of Val Stefoff. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Another first assistant director. They get inside and get immediately caught by a cop. That cop, who I recognized immediately, is named Roger Cross. He's the one who, at the beginning, I said is the guy we don't remember, or we who, who looks familiar but isn't, but then it turned out that he was. Roger Cross, uh, who he plays a guard in the facility, is a recurring actor in the X-Files with EBE as the first of his five appearances throughout the series. Oh, that's who that is. He is also in The Strain. Yep. Because that's where I recognized him from. (laughs) Yep. Scully is the adult in the room, again, and knows the jig is up and shows him her FBI badge. He still wants them to go to wherever he was leading them before, but Mulder runs. Mulder literally runs. Scully throws her body in front of the cop as Mulder runs away, just fleeing the scene. It's great, because she just, like, puts her hand out real fast just to trip him up a little bit. She's, like, not trying to tackle him. No. Ugh. Uh, Mulder eats it on a catwalk, and both times you (laughs) laughed out loud. It's it's just so funny. And unnecessary for the episode. Right, because he limps for that scene, and by the next shot, he's not limping. Well, he starts limping towards the... Like the window, and that's like why he's too slow to get there. But nobody gets in front of him and actually stops him. No. They just cock their weapons. Oh, it was silly. Uh, Mulder gets caught, duh, and actually lets Deep Throat talk him into submission while standing feet away from a dead alien. And one of the things that Deep Throat says is, there's no point in looking at it, it's dead. <laughs> like I wouldn't what? want to look at a dead alien? What? I watched Alien Autopsy on Fox. <laughs> I was actually thinking of going to Mo Marine Aquarium and seeing the giant squid. Oh, yeah. They have a giant squid in a formaldehyde tube, and it's crazy to look at. Like, is it an adult? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I need to go to Mo Aquarium in 2024. And you know what? Worth seeing. Yeah. 
<laughs> so what are you talking about? Um, as Deep Throat wanders around, and I wrote that because he definitely isn't blocking Mulder's ability to see this thing, to look in the window that's right there. Everybody else has left. Everybody has dis- It's just Deep Throat and Mulder, and Mulder is feet away from seeing the thing that he's lived decades trying to find, and he's just letting Deep Throat talk to him about it instead of taking two steps to the left and looking through the window. I think he wants to hear the story, and he knows he can go look at that when the story's done. Maybe. Deep Throat's telling his heartbreaking story about murdering an innocent creature, so... I thought it was a great backstory. I was riveted. I loved it. I hate these kinds of stories. Okay. I'm so sad I murdered something innocent, and now I have to feel bad about it. Wow, that's pretty awesome. You've never done anything you regret. It is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> After Deep Throat completes his speech, Mulder slides over to the window, and the observation room is empty. So it made me wonder if when the guys disappeared who were supposed to be blocking his view, if while Deep Throat was talking, if they moved it. <laughs> That would have been funny. Deep Throat and Mulder walk outside. It's quiet. Scully is eventually escorted out by the cop, who probably is thrilled he got her instead of the runner. (laughs) And that would be the end. But look, one of the cats stepped on my screen and made a little sad face out of emoticon. Or not. Winky sad face. Yep. (laughs) Womp womp. That's fun. (sighs) Alrighty then. Who are you shipping? I'm shipping the truck driver and Deep Throat because they both lied directly to Mulder's face. Okay. I am shipping. While you're thinking about that, the funny thing is I had something else, but I never finished the sentence. So when I looked at this originally, it just said, shipping, the truck. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) This one was such a hard one because there's like... There's so many people. Yeah. And (laughs) there's so many people and so many of them don't interact with each other. There's so few people that actually interact with each other. Oh, well, those two didn't interact with each other. I guess that's true. Just putting them together because they have common interests. All right, I'm shipping Bathroom Troll and the spy lady that gave her the pen. Gave Scully the pen. Ah, all right. she was slick. That was slick. I like so that. So maybe she's a super duper cool spy and she can help uh, thwart Mulder and Scully later. All right. How are you going to survive? I am surviving by hanging out at that UFO party. Yes, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, we get there and just, yeah, you know what? I'm good here. That's great. Scully, I, you go check that out. I followed this trail to the end. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surviving by not trusting anyone who summons me by phone static. Ah, uh, okay. That's a good one. Yep. All right. 17 episodes in. We have now lasted as long as Gross Point. Blank. Nope. That's a great movie. <laughs> This is a TV show that lasted 17 episodes. Okay. It was a satire that centered on the off-camera antics of five actors who star in a fictional high school drama called Gross Point. Oh, man. I was thinking that they were starring in a fictional high school drama, but, like, they knew it was fictional. I was getting super meta in, oh. in my... <laughs> like, what, a, what an interesting concept. Yeah. And Knight Rider. 2008 version that focused on Michael Trasur, who was the illegitimate son of Michael Knight. Oh. And Val Kilmer as the voice of Kit. Oh, really? (laughs) Yep. I love Val Kilmer. I know. All right. 
Yeah, I guess it's time for a nightmare on Film Street. That's it. Okay, bye. We'll see you at the watch party. Nightmare on Film Street three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at the Cast Files. That's the with two E's at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things. Artistic, wonderful things. We are raising the bar on podcasting. We would love you forever for that. We have a tea Public store. You can go buy t-shirts and stuff there. Music by Hal Six. Logo by Atuka Art. That's O-O-K-A-A-R-T. 